0: April twenty third, twenty seventeen. I am Lee. This is your bite sized look back at the a week of video games that eats like a meal. Uh, of course, it's been actually a few months since we recorded anything video game related here on the attack dot com. I am alone. Rob is not here. However, I do have a Rob soundboard that I've amalgamated from hours upon hours of uh, audio footage. So, uh, so Rob. Uh, is that Keystone, man? I don't know. <laughs> Good stuff, buddy. Alright, uh, I'd also like to mention that this uh, particular episode is brought to you unofficially by my new favorite energy drink known as Rockstar Revolt Killer Grape. My private messages are open, Rockstar, if you want to hit us up. I am willing and ready to sell out. Uh, this is an excellent, excellent energy drink. I uh, I try to avoid them as much as possible, but it's just so so delicious. It makes me talk really quick when I'm alone on a podcast. So I hope you can keep up with me. I've handpicked some topics from the previous few months of video games. Uh, you know, kept it to the last couple months as anything before that. It's been a little too long uh, for my hot take on it. Uh, but if you have any questions or topics that you feel were left out here, please hit me up and we'll talk about it on the next Turn-Based Attack Lite or Turn-Based Attack podcast proper. I also have a list of video games I've been trying, you know, I, I'd like to say I'm two hours into every single video game that has come out in the last few months, so I have a lot of uh, impressions of that stuff as well, good and bad. We're of course going to talk about the Nintendo Switch and uh, and everything else uh, therein. So let's get down to it with some uh, video game news that I, like I said, handpicked from the last uh, good two months, uh, things that stood out that I wanted to talk about, and one of them is Atlas and uh, Persona 5. So Persona Persona 5 is now out. It is fantastic. Uh, that is the game that I've kind of put every other game on hold for uh, to get pretty deep into. Uh, if you have played the game, I will avoid spoilers as much as possible. If you haven't, uh, basically I am at the boss of the first palace, so not very far at all. Uh, but I am, uh, you know, quickly quickly running towards the end of that week where I need to, uh, to get things done. I really like the game. People have some different feelings on it compared to uh, Persona 4. Uh, in that the, the the characters, everything surrounding them, and the subject matter of the game in general is a little darker, and that's saying something. Considering the last game, uh, you were solving murders uh, or preventing them from happening. Uh, so yeah, we'll talk more about Persona Five later, but for right now, let's talk about Atlas and uh, they're they're kind of news briefing, uh, that they sent out to, uh, to people who stream and, uh, in the video games media that eventually they just posted, uh, at, you know, wholesale to everyone. And that is that they don't want you really streaming the game and, uh, it's their game. So their call. Uh, YouTube's going through some tumultuous times right now with what, you know, people monetizing their videos and, and not being able to, you know, maybe make as much as they used to people who make their livelihoods on YouTube and streaming having issues. And this is kind of just another nail in that coffin, so to speak, not that it's that dire quite yet, but, uh, Atlas is very, very, uh, specific in, uh, that if you stream the in-game events past July 7th in-game, uh, that you may be hit with a takedown notice or strike against your account. Uh, prior to that, they have some very specific point form rules here about what you can post and show from this game. Uh, it's worth noting that on the PS4, every scene is block, blocked past the title screen. As soon as you go in, you know, on the left, hand, left left hand corner tells you, "Hey, the scene is blocked," uh, and that's the whole game, including when you get a trophy. It, it basically pops the trophy and then pops cannot take a screenshot here every single time. Uh, so they uh, they're very aware uh, that a lot of their games are single playthrough RPGs, and what I mean by that is. No matter how much you love this game, it is very likely you get through it once, and just based on the nature of the game, you don't necessarily sit down for another playthrough, as there isn't necessarily uh, another ending, or uh, you know, as far as role playing is concerned. Unlike a, like a Mass Effect, where there's clearly a Paragon and Renegade option, uh, you're kind of spent, uh, especially considering that this game's like a hundred hours long. Uh, but basically. Uh, in Point Form, Atlas has uh, Atlas Sega has said you can post uh, however many additional videos you'd like, but please limit each to at uh, most 90 minutes long. Seems kind of arbitrary. No major story spoilers, uh, and I'll leave that up to you for good d- judgment. And then they go into specifics uh, into things that don't seem like spoilers at F uh, face value, but I'm sure as these particular things that I won't mention here pop up in the game, you'll you'll be aware of them. So kind of shitty of you atlas uh i know i mentioned uh, not showing the end of the, uh, each palace blah 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 so yeah okay so you can't show uh the end of each palace level uh, and that's of course prior to july 7th in the game as well uh however they said you can grab footage from the first boss fight uh but don't capture video from the other other boss fights so very arbitrary uh, must not focus solely on cutscenes and animated scenes. Of course, the cutscenes, which are pretty beautifully done, uh, in an anime style, they don't want you just posting those without any context. Uh, you should prominently feature the gameplay, being the dungeon crawling, as well as spending time and, uh, playing in general in Tokyo. Uh, and then it says you can post straight gameplay or have commentary. So thanks. Uh, thanks for that clarification. So... People were really bent out of shape about this, and it turns out it's not the only game that's going to go through this. Uh, so people are kind of pointing the finger back at Atlas, saying, Hey, you know, some of the success of this particular series, being Persona, is uh, is predicated on the fact that people have been sharing it, and it's been getting out there, and like, what is this wacky game? When the next one comes out, I might jump into it. Uh, and one of the most prolific uh, video series such as this was uh, when, uh, when Vinny Caravella and Jeff Gertzman ran through the entire game of Persona 4, uh, in an endurance run, which you can still find on YouTube, uh, and as of right now, the uh, the East crew from Giant Bomb is actually doing all of the Yakuza series, starting with Zero. And they're a few, you know, they're you know, dozens of hours into that game already streaming it. So you can see Atlas's point of view, not necessarily wanting their entire games to be shown, especially like like using their word, it's a single playthrough RPG. So if you watch someone play all of Yakuza Zero, how likely are you uh, to sit down and play a game that's multiple dozens of hours long? If you've kind of already seen what you would be building towards, um, so, you know, it all comes down to how people experience video games, there are people who never intended to play Persona 5, but would love to see what it's all about, and unfortunately, that's just not going to be the case, people are going to have to, you know, host their own videos, and ho- hope Atlas or Sega doesn't come knocking, um, so I'm, I'm all down with the idea of don't, we don't want people to show, see story spoilers, um, yeah, uh, it, that's all there is to it. So, you, you know, you can take either side on it. Obviously, it's Atlas Sega's property. If they don't want you to stream it, that's their prerogative. Uh, Nintendo, who is another company that, uh, you know, isn't really crazy on people streaming their games, uh, especially when they're gaining uh, monetary momentum from it, uh, which is a whole other kettle of fish. But this is this is straight up, don't show it. Uh, so we don't care about the, you know, the ad revenue from it. Uh, you know, just just don't. So that's it. I that's my thoughts on that. I don't know. Uh, I it would be neat if more, you know, it, it's again it's very arbitrary. There's a lot of people who, like I said, don't play video games. They just like watching them online. Uh, that's that's all they wanted. So it's, it's kind of a bummer for them. Otherwise, you have to respect uh, Atlas's choice here. Apparently, Poyo Poyo Tetris in Japan will also have similar streaming restrictions so when they kind of herald it as a no story spoilers kind of thing I'm not sure you know how deep the story is in Puyo Puyo Tetris I've only played it in Japanese uh but to my understanding there's not really it's the it's the gameplay there uh that that you want and that's another game where you can stream it all you like uh you being hands-on with that game is really where the fun is so we'll see how that develops we'll see if other people jump on that uh it's you know Streaming's crazy It's a huge industry now People are, like I said Making their livelihoods On just streaming Other people's video games But the the argument At the, the bottom of all of this Is are they watching it Because of the game For the majority Is it a 60% Because the game is cool And 40% Because the commentary is nice uh, Is it the personality That's bringing people To the video And kind of doing a free ad For your, uh, your game I, It's hard to say I'm sure there are Arguments on both sides But uh, as far as I'm concerned Respect their wishes Uh, no need to make a big, you know, kerfuffle about it. It is their game. It's their property. If this drives you to not want to purchase it because you can't watch videos of it on YouTube, that's your prerogative, man. I can't tell you what to do. All right. Anyway, moving on. We have, uh, the Xbox Project Scorpio. We had all the specs spill for that thing. Uh, and they kind of let us know that, yeah, it's going to be compatible with all your Xbox One games. Uh, prior to now, I assume the Scorpio was just a souped up Xbox one, but it seems like they're trying to refer to it less as a half step, which is what the PS4 pro definitely is and more of a really souped up console. That's going to do everything you've already done the best it ever has been. And then maybe going into the future, you know, be an upgradable platform, uh, instead of ha- you getting another Xbox at some point you grab a Scorpio and then it's a matter of swapping out parts or firm firmware updates. I don't know. Uh, un- untreaded territory, but one thing is for sure, this is the most powerful console video game system, uh, ever made. Definitely. Uh, so the specs are online right now, kind of staggering stuff for, again, for a console, uh, 12 gigabytes of, uh, GDDR5 RAM on this bad boy, uh, memory bandwidth of 326 gigabytes per second, uh, hard drive again, one terabyte, which we are quickly outgrowing. Uh, the PS4 Slim now has a one terabyte hard drive. I'm, I'm thinking we need to step up to two or even five at this point based on the size of games that are installing. And of course, we'll talk about the Switch's memory, uh, a little bit later. Of course, the other thing to note about the, uh, Xbox One S's and the Project Scorpio is they both support 4K, uh, Blu-ray, I believe. And, uh, uh, U- UHD, for whatever for whatever that's worth. So that's something that the PlayStation 4 Pro isn't supporting. And because Blu-ray was originally kind of Sony's proprietary platform, it's very strange that they wouldn't bake that in there. Uh, so kind of a mixed message from from Sony on that. But yeah, if you need a 4K HD Blu-ray player, you're better off getting an Xbox uh, S, which is was kind of the story with the PS3 at one point. When people just needed a Blu-ray player, there was a time when buying a PlayStation 3 was a more cost-effective model of doing that. So very strange move from Sony. Uh, to wholesale say they're just leaving this thing out. Of course, you know, the ball's now in their court to come out and and announce something like that. And and now they're playing catch-up. The PlayStation 4 Pro, if you have already bought one, you know, I hear HDR and 4K is fantastic if you have the TV to support it, uh, but it is thoroughly, uh, you know, the messaging on it is terrible. Game to game, you don't know what the Pro is uh, supporting on it. There's even some games that run poorer on the Pro than the regular PlayStation 4, Um so Sony, I believe, needs to get really in front of that, uh, developer by developer, games that are coming out, even third-party games, get out there, put the messaging on the box, is this enhanced with the Pro or not? Because uh, you could see someone walking out, you know, let's say Bethesda releases another RPG that isn't optimized for the PlayStation 4 Pro, uh, they go out and buy it with their Pro, thinking this and that, uh, you know, they're going to get the 4K, maybe they get the HDR uh, maybe they get nothing. Maybe it runs as as it would on a uh, PlayStation 4 Slim. They are really, really bad at getting that messaging out. And uh, that's something that you really need to improve on. And uh, now they're playing catch-up, because Project Scorpio's uh, coming in hot with uh, with the specs there. So, the, the issue here being, of course, is that PlayStation, between the two of these two consoles, has let's say the better exclusives. Uh, the real issue with Xbox right now is with Windows 10, getting all those same exclusives with something like a Halo 6, whenever that comes out, being available on the PC day one, why would you want an Xbox One uh, when you can, you know, if we're talking about upgrading a console, you can upgrade a PC just as well. Uh, and all those games are, are now compatible. Your, your Forza Horizons, your, you know, I think it started at Quantum Break was the first game that made the jump between. Of course, if you buy it on one, you do get it on both. Uh, but I digress. Um, there's not, there's not a, other than the power, there's not a big pull to why, uh, you would want a, uh, a project Scorpio, especially if the price point is going to be 600, $700 in Canada. So, uh, very weary. Of course, we'll see a 3 what they're going to do with that. Uh, is it, is it the point of they get more third-party exclusives? And even, even though they'll be shared on the windows 10 store, you know, you're, you're c- catching more people. I don't know. I don't know. Uh as someone who hasn't particularly enjoyed a lot of uh Sony's first party offerings on the PlayStation 4 aside from of course Horizon, which we'll get to. Um it's kind of a de- a dead heat right now between the two of them. Uh so moving on, The Scorpio. Yeah. So, the NES classic, the infamous NES classic uh is officially discontinued most everywhere. So this uh hit some people as a shock for some reason. Uh Nintendo kind of doing what Nintendo does. They release this thing. Of course, uh, I believe it was around December or so uh did not hit the demand. This thing is still highly in demand. It's going online amazon stuff like that for three four times more uh than it's worth m s r p Uh, people, of course, have hacked into the thing, they've loaded it with more games, they've done all kinds of crazy stuff to it, and as of right now, the Nintendo Switch does not have a virtual console, so there isn't another way to buy these NES games from Nintendo on a contemporary system other than what the 3DS has to offer. So I'm to understand, uh, as recent as last week, there's still notices going out where, hey, we're going to have some NES classics, and people are lining up hours before stores are opening, and immediately reselling them to the line or scalping them online online. And uh, the demand for this thing just has not died down. And now definitely that they've discontinued it, uh, people are ravenous for this thing. And you got to feel bad for whatever comes next because the demand's going to be that much higher up front knowing that Nintendo can pull the plug on these damn things whenever they so please. So uh, I did have a listener question from Andrew this week asking, is Nintendo shooting themselves in the foot by discontinuing the NES uh, Classic Edition? There's a misconception that Nintendo hates money. And that's uh, far from the case. Uh, they, they love money. They love it very much. And they're making money right now on something called the Nintendo Switch. And Nintendo is very picky, picky and choosy when it comes to who gets to manufacture uh, their first-party stuff. So it's very easy to believe that with the Switch taking off uh, in North America, as well as Japan, as it has a lot of portable uh, you know, console appeal, which is what the Japanese are all about... Uh, That they are just, you know what, pull the plug on this NES Classic thing. We'll revisit it at some point in the future, but we really need to pump out these Switches right now. Uh, They got Mario Kart coming out this week here, uh, as well as they have their Nintendo Direct. You got ARMS, you got Splatoon on the way by the summer. Maybe it's time uh, to make sure all the plastic you possibly have is going towards Switches. And like I said, we can revisit the NES Classic Edition. I could always see them doing, for the same price or maybe $10 cheaper, doing the NES Classic Edition in downloadable form on the Switch. Uh, maybe you download that thing for a few gigs, and it costs you forty nine ninety nine US dollars, and you have all thirty of those games. The other thing could be that it's a licensing issue that they only had uh, availability on the certain games that were included, as they did go to third parties for a limited amount of time. And uh, you know, on the on the backside of that, you can see with the success of the NES Mini, maybe there was some uh, you know. Backhanded negotiations going on afterward, <clears throat> where someone like a you know, not to point fingers, like a Capcom who put Mega Man in there, uh, is now saying, Hey, this thing is, you know, big, the biggest thing since sliced bread, and we got this much for it, uh, we'd now like this much for it. Uh, and that also puts into perspective any more of these things to come out, whether there's another NES classic, whether it's a Super Nintendo classic edition. Uh, whatever the case, being able to approach third parties now might be a little more difficult that they know uh, how much money is on the table, how popular such a thing is. <clears throat> this isn't new for Nintendo either. They've absolutely released things with the full intent of discontinuing them after a holiday season. If you remember the uh, the Mario 25th Anniversary All-Stars Edition, or it was the 30th Anniversary? All-Stars Edition that came out on the Wii with the, the extra DVD and soundtrack or whatever there. Uh, that, you know, came out in December, and by spring, it was gone. They did another print of it, I believe, with Luigi on the cover or something like that, and then uh, that was it. So, uh, you know, something like that's a little easier to print off a few. When it comes to something like this, when you have controllers and cabling and all that, uh, it you know, they are definitely not shooting themselves in the foot. They do everything with a purpose. Uh, absolutely does Nintendo, you know, make it really difficult to enjoy their classic library, uh, and they have one of the best ones, so it's really a bummer. Uh, that of all the companies out there that are willing to re-release their games over and over and over and over again, uh, looking at you again, Capcom, uh, that Nintendo is not one of them. And they're very picky and choosy with what they, uh, picky and choosy is now the name of the episode, uh, with what they, you know, put out there on a console-by-console basis. So, really curious to see how the Virtual Console lands on the on the Switch, how, you know, what kind of, you know, library we have on there right from the get-go. And, of course, if they do announce another one of these, people are saying, Super Nintendo Mini by Christmas, right? It goes back to the thing where if the Switch is that popular and they have a Mario game out in December, don't expect another one of these classic consoles at all. Uh, Maybe they would do the NES Classic Edition, like I said, digitally. Maybe they would do it on a disc or a a cart, in this case, that you pop into your Switch and there's your NES Classic Edition on the Switch. You can take it on the go. That would be fantastic. That's a cool idea. The gimmick of having the mini NES is is great. I get it. Uh, But at a certain point uh there's more cost effective ways to do that especially when you have a uh, console that's currently hot fire by all means so that's my thoughts on the uh the NES mini i uh you know I I do work, you know, somewhat closely with the industry, and and have dealings with Nintendo, and they're they're not trying to pull the wool over anybody's eyes on here. Everything I said is pretty much on the level. They have their reasons for discontinuing this. Uh, It was kind of, you know, in the stars that this was always going to be the case. The fact that they're discontinuing it here in April, and not in February, or right after Christmas, as I thought they would have, is kind of shocking. So, uh, get them all you can. Unfortunately, you know, the the resale market on this thing is absolutely insane uh there's even fishing and weird scams going on, on amazon right now where people are listing them for dirt cheap and and uh you know getting paid before they can cancel the orders and stuff so be weary out there when you're buying this thing uh but hopefully in a couple years time if you're you know persevering enough you'll see one of these pop up in a flea market or a, a garage sale and you can just pick it up for 30 bucks or whatever the hell uh yeah speaking of nintendo Uh, They're celebrating Kirby's 25th anniversary this year with a myriad of new 3DS games that look like they're based on the sub-games from previous 3DS Kirby releases. There's also some kind of multiplayer game that's in production uh, for holiday that they'll be revealing sometime soon as well. Kirby games are fun. I love Kirby. Big fan. Uh, So it's good to see he's getting his due this year. I saw he has a uh, lingerie line out. That's pretty cool. Luigi didn't get that, as far as I know, during his year, so... Oh, what's that, Rob? Hot Shots Golf. Thanks for mentioning that. So, uh, if you didn't know, Hot Shots Golf is uh, is Hot Shots Golf here in North America, but everywhere else in the world is known as Everybody's Golf, uh, and that is what they are now switching it to. So, it's kind of like a uh, a Bust a Move, Bubble Bobble thing. Uh, so, if you if you're looking for Hot Shots and you see Everybody's Golf, and you're like, that looks like a ripoff. It's in fact the same game. Uh, so, they have a new one of those coming out. So, thanks, Rob, for reminding me. That was very uh, very kind of you. Speaking of things, there's <laughs> a transition for you. StarCraft is free! Uh, if you didn't hear, Blizzard uh, fully intends to release a graphical overhaul of StarCraft, complete with any bugs and glitches in it, uh, because they want it to be, of course, multiplayer and competitive-ready. So they're just giving it a little facelift, so when that's on television, maybe it can be in full screen and not look like, it, you know, the year it came out. Uh, but that game is completely free now. You can uh, go download it, have some StarCraft fun, get it on uh, with StarCraft. Just a little, little you know, all-points bulletin for y'all. Uh, this week Call of Duty... Uh, announced, Call of Duty announced, Activision announced that Call of Duty World War II, uh, the industry's worst kept secret, is real, and there's a new uh, full full reveal coming this week. So Call of Duty going back to World War II. Of course, Battlefield had uh, huge success in going back to World War One uh, last year with all that ca- that came with. So we'll see what Call of Duty can do here. Uh, this is from Sledgehammer, of course. So looking forward to it. I, you know, as much as uh, Call of Duty gets ragged on, uh, I've I've enjoyed more of them than I've disliked. So always down uh very curious to see what they would do with a single player campaign in this uh usually call of duty single co- player campaigns are pretty fantastic uh wasn't a big fan of black ops 2 never played the campaign for three but i've played the campaign for the rest of them except for infinite warfare which i plan to eventually and i've uh, thoroughly in- enjoyed them all to be completely honest with you and the uh the multiplayer like i said i get really deep into for a week and then shelve it because uh, call of duty always comes out at the beginning of q4 and uh, there's so many other games to play that I don't want to get bogged down. Uh, I have never to this date prestiged in a Call of Duty game. I've gotten into like level the level forties and just been like, yeah, I'm good. Anyway, Call of Duty World War Two. Let's let's do it. Ah, that's right. Nintendo has got a brand new console on the market and I want to talk all about it. But I feel like I'm shitting myself. You see, Rob, that's why I didn't want you here when we talked about the Switch. Uh <laughs> <laughs> I, I kid. Rob, of course, I'm sure, would have been very respectful of me talking about Nintendo's new console and their new Zelda game. But, he's not. Uh, so we don't have to worry about it. Either way. So, uh, let's talk about the Switch. So I picked one up day one uh, because that's just what I do. I was hemming and hawing over grabbing one and then just, you know, like, it's right there and the Zelda game sounds like it's really good. Let's let's pick it up. Uh, I had the opportunity to play Breath of the Wild on the Wii U uh, back at E3 the previous year and Nintendo wasn't really answering a lot of questions about uh, what was then the NX at the time. Of course, not until January uh, did they announce what the thing was and when it was coming out nearly two months later. Uh, I was very shocked uh, that they had as much stock as they did. Strangely enough, the accessories were the hardest thing to come across. Specifically, the Pro Controller here in uh, in where we live. Uh, but yeah, I was able to pick up a console Pro Controller, grab Zelda... I uh, got one to switch, you know, cause the parents come over sometime and you want to play it and uh snipper clips as well, which is a uh, digital game. I believe it's out physical in other regions, but uh, that's a fun uh, co-op kind of puzzle game hard to describe, but I will try to anyway. So let's talk about the console itself. The, you know, conceptually uh, the switch is a home game console that you can take with you. Uh, the battery life on it when playing a game is is roughly three hours, and that's, let's say, with Zelda. The controllers have an ungodly battery life on them. Those Joy-Cons that snap onto the side of the screen, which then docks and plugs into your TV. Those Joy-Cons, uh, <laughs> easily 20 hours of battery life without plugging them in. Uh, that has to be close to what they are. Um, so the the console itself comes with, of course, the dock, the screen. The set of Joy-Cons and a grip, which you can slide the Joy-Cons in so while you're playing on the television uh, you don't have to hold the things Wiimote and nunchuck style. Although you can, and it's relatively comfortable. Uh, The Joy-Cons themselves are fine. The left Joy-Con's been having some connection issues apparently just based on uh, the boards and and where they were built. Nintendo is offering a quick fix for that. You can uh, contact them, of course, through their customer service. They will send you your Joy-Con back with a piece of conductive foam on it, which apparently is all it needs to work uh, other than that, one two switch is, is good times. It is wholly too expensive. That game that should have been a bundled in game, and you won't convince me otherwise. It kind of is the gimmicky game like your Wii Sports or your Nintendo Land for the Switch. Uh, that involves a lot of the HD Rumble and uh, you know IR sensor and general tomfoolery you would expect through a, a Nintendo launch gimmick game. It's fun, uh, but based on the price, wait till that thing comes down or uh, or grab it secondhand by all means. Other than that, the launch lineup's pretty shallow. And I should put a asterisk on that. is pretty shallow in North America. In Japan, they already have uh, multiple RPGs on the thing, including the Sky Five, which is coming here shortly. Uh, but up front, uh, the, Japan had a a much more robust uh, launch lineup on that thing, and we're we're still just kind of catching up here with uh, Poyo Poyo Tetris and Mario Kart uh, out this week. Those are two big titles uh, that I highly recommend. Of course, Mario Kart Eight is is just Mario Kart Eight again, but now you can take it on the go. Um, yeah. So, let's talk about the Switch itself. Uh, the console's good. The graphics are fine. It's a Nintendo console. That's that's not what matters. Uh, when undocked, something like Zelda plays fine. Frame rate keeps up. When docked, there are some frame rate issues. And they have been updating the game, which is seemingly smoothing things over. Uh, but, yeah, that's kind of disappointing that when the thing, uh, let's say, upreses itself to your television, uh, there is some noticeable slowdown and, and weaker performance from that console. Uh, But, you know, that leads us into our next thing. Let's talk about Zelda. So I've been playing mostly with the Pro Controller on my television. Uh, I fell into a deep Zelda hole that first weekend that this thing was out. I must have played at least 35 hours. My wife has picked it up. She's beaten the game already. I'm only two Divine Beasts in. uh, And that game, you know, people have talked about it to death. So I'm only going to talk about it for so long. But there are specific things about that game that need to be pointed out. uh, That people who are kind of hemming and hawing over what's so great about this new Zelda game... Uh, need, need to realize, first of all, how solidly built that game is. Uh, I haven't had any freezing. I haven't gotten stuck in anything. And considering you can climb up most any exterior surface in that game, uh, the, the 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 detail of exploring. Uh, you know the Skyrim joke where you see that mountain, you can climb that mountain, but that involves you clicking the jump button while going on side, you know, side to side up a hill, and maybe you jank your way up there to hit an invisible wall. Zelda doesn't have a whole hell of a lot of that. Uh, and you're basically hampered only by your stamina wheel in that game, Uh, man, love it to pieces. And uh, the the thing that, you know, the one resounding negative about that game is they allow you to, it's the the resounding negative and the reason why it's maybe uh, being heralded as one of the greatest games of all time is the sense of exploration uh, and the fact that this is the first true open-world Zelda game. Zelda games have always been overworld games uh, in which you, you know, Everything exists in an overworld, which you are limited to exploring based on what items you've collected from what dungeons. Uh, this game starts you on a plateau, but once you get your main powers on your your tablet, as it were, your magnetism and your being able to stop time, and make bombs, and whatnot, uh, you can kind of go anywhere in the world at that point and make do. Whether you want to go to Death Mountain, uh, go hang out with the Zoras in the river, um, hit the desert, the jungle, the uh, you know where the Rito are living up in the in the mountains, there you can do all of that uh, from go. So the you know, this is something that they've been kind of uh, flirting with in previous Zelda games. I know uh, Link Between Worlds kind of had a, a system where you could rent items, which would allow you to kind of do the game in, in, at any pace, in any order you'd like, which is really neat. Um, this this game Breath of the Wild is truly an open world game. the The landscape is littered with things to do. Uh, Every every skyline every vista in that game is well thought out. From no matter where you are, there's always something in the distance that you want to go to. Uh, whether it be you know the faint shine of a shrine, uh, you know a, a mountain straight up, something that just looks generally interesting. If you go over there, you're gonna find something. And there's not many games that can claim that. When you look at stuff like uh, what 2K did with uh, with Mafia, or you look at the Ubisoft uh, open world Fair. or even the Bethesda games, um, there's a lot of open space. And and while it's beautiful to look at a lot of the times, it's it's a lot like someone just took a shotgun and blasted a bunch of icons onto the map of do this here. Zelda's got a weird exploration thing where sometimes the only reward you get for going and seeing that thing that looked interesting from a uh, from a distance is a nice looking vista or a korok seed or you know some some uh, you know opals or you're finding something. There's always something going on. You always feel like driven to adventure in this game, uh, and and I was definitely taken with it. Now some people aren't as crazy. About uh, Zelda coming at it they don't see the appeal, and now they're sitting on a switch for two months with nothing to play on it and I get it uh it's a it's a shallow uh it's a shallow console for games, but keep in mind uh fanboyism aside, what did the PlayStation four and Xbox one have in their first couple months that was so great. I remember having my p s four for a good four months before something came out there that that I was truly taken with that I wanted to play. I remember having the p s four even set up in my side bedroom not even attached. Uh, to a television for a long period of time because I'm like, I'm uh, Rezogun, how much can I play of it? Killzone, not really a fan, uh, and, and everything else that they're followed. I had I was playing my PS3 for a good four months, uh, after the PS4 had come out and I had purchased it. Xbox One, same deal. Uh, you know, Dead Rising 3 was a neat launch game, uh, it had some other stuff going for it, but on the whole, you know, Switch is, is right there with those for shallow game uh, libraries on launch. Uh, being an early adopter doesn't always have its perks, keep that in mind. Uh, in the case of Switch, though, if you are into Zelda, you know, Nintendo was really banking on that game being fantastic, and don't get me wrong, it is, uh, but if you are into Zelda, yeah, that is a game that can reasonably carry you through those two months while you wait. Uh, it would have been nice to see some other, you know, fringe releases other than your Super Bomberman and your Binding of Isaac, you know, maybe having guy out there at launch. Uh, you know, some of the th- all this third party support they're heralding that is just non existent at launch. And that's if you listen to this podcast prior to this thing coming out, was the thing I was bitching about was that, oh man, this third party support's only going to be at launch. Uh, they're going to release one sports game and then that's it. Uh, so it sounds like that stuff's being held off till later in the year uh, and then maybe early into next year, but then I fully expect it to fall off. So the- there'll be this huge surge of third party games uh, that, you know, if you have a PS4, or Xbox One, or a, a valid PC, won't necessarily be where you want to play those games. Something like FIFA, you know, Nintendo's console isn't the first thing you think of. You you know, n- not, not in the slightest. And that goes, you know, that goes for Skyrim too. Why the hell wasn't Skyrim just a launch game for this this console? I understand there's there's some distinct similarities between that and Zelda, but at least something a little edgier for someone who maybe has completely done with Zelda. Or, let's, let's be honest here, Nintendo fanboys that don't buy other consoles uh, that haven't been able to experience vanilla Skyrim yet... Uh, very, very perplexing that games that are, that are out aren't launching on both consoles and it's still happening. There's something like a game I'll talk about in a little bit called Lego worlds, uh, which is an absolutely fantastic Minecraft Lego game that I'm enjoying on the PS4 that is coming to the switch at some point and did not launch day and date. And I can't for the life of me think why I, why not? Uh, that's a $30 budget priced, basically Minecraft. And speaking of Minecraft, where the hell is Minecraft? You can't digitally release Minecraft for $30? bucks. you have released it on every other console. How long could it possibly take? You have Minecraft on the Vita, so don't tell me that the portable thing is not enough power. No. Bullshit. Uh, so, when you really get down to it, there is no excuse for the Switch not having a bangin' uh, release lineup. Especially when the things that a lot of people were looking forward to, like Skyrim, uh, are games that have been out for years now. Why... You can you could assume that Nintendo was keeping hush hush and everybody got caught with their pants down when Nintendo in January was like this thing's coming out in March, uh, but all the same, I'm uh, I'm quite disappointed that they they didn't really push the issue and uh, get more third parties on at launch uh, or just games in general. Let's let's be completely honest here. And in that void, if you're not gonna have those games, where the hell's the Virtual Console? Sell me back my NES games for five dollars. People will buy them. Whatever. Um... I understand you want to th- you want to think of, s- you have the Nintendo account now, you want people who have already purchased the game, let's say on the Wii, and then paid that extra dollar to get it on the Wii U, you want a solution for them on the on the Switch. But in the meantime, release the friggin' library, man. I don't, very perplexing. But I digress. Let's talk about what's good on the console. Uh, that Bomberman's okay. Binding Isaac is Binding of Isaac. I've talked about 1-2-Switch. Snipperclips is great for the price it is. Uh, there's a game called Voez on there, which is a very standard mobile uh, port of a rhythm game. Uh, Snipperclips, you play as two shapes. You're able to overlap each other and cut each other out. Not as dirty as it sounds. Uh, to be able to solve different uh, puzzles and such. Uh, so, you know, get... Get item A to point B, but when you're just a rotating square, uh, that can be kind of uh, difficult. There's there's another level where you kind of make Goldberg machines out of yourself uh, to get, you know, roll an egg from point A to point B. Lots of fun to be had in that one. Uh, and speaking of things with, with engines and rolling things from point A to point B, we're right back to Zelda. Sorry, that was a tangent, if there ever was one. Um so what are the what are the issues with Zelda that people are having? Well, there's uh, weapon degradation, and that your weapons are constantly exploding. And at the beginning of the game, this is really frustrating because once you get a really good weapon, you're only going to have it for so many swings before it blows up. Uh, suffice it to say that if you uh, make a you know a point of grabbing the uh, the sword that seals evil, right? Uh, that's all I'll say at the beginning of the game. Uh, that is usable freely in all dungeons in the game, which kind of cuts down on that. Uh, as well as the idea of the game is that Link is proficient with multiple weapons and you're constantly switching them out. They're blown up. You're throwing them. Uh, what you really have to understand is it's not a game where you're meant to get attached to weapons whatsoever. Uh, if something's about to blow up, it's badly damaged by all means, use the L one button or R one button and whip it at a goblin's face. It's fine. It's meant to blow up in his face. super satisfying swinging a great ax into the side of a, a moblin knocking him off a bridge while the ax explodes. You feel like the biggest badass of all time. Um, that's fine. It would be cool if in the game there was a quest or a way. As far as I know, there isn't to to take some of the crappier weapons and upgrade them or make them more permanent uh, members of your arsenal, or a way like in Persona when you uh, fuse a Persona that you can actually spend uh, currency to get your original Persona back, uh, so that nothing is really final. You get that sword you really like, and you know. For, case in point, the uh, if you use Zelda amiibos in the game, you scan amiibos in. Um, they give you special items. so They give you items based on the amiibo you scanned uh, them in. So, you you know, you scan your uh, your Ocarina of Time link, you get the Biggeron Sword. Well, it's really powerful, but it's going to blow up eventually like every other weapon in the game. Uh, so, it's very disappointing that there isn't a way to, you know, you blow up the Biggeron Sword. There's a place you can go, uh, you know, give someone your item, and then you can buy infinite amounts of that item. They smith they smith it over and over and over again. Whatever the case. Um amiibos is another thing in this game that nintendo was kind of hush-hush about before they came out and speaking of the nes classic being uh discontinued allegedly the breath of the wild set of amiibos is already out of print they did one print of it and it's gone uh so they are making sure that those are sought after items i know the smash uh zelda set was going for astronomical amounts uh on on ebay uh once people learn that like hey you scan the smash link you get a Pona hey, you scanned Gan- the Ganondorf Amiibo, you get the Sword of uh, Six Ages or whatever the hell. Uh, and that stuff's really neat. That's a really cool idea. But didn't give people the heads up to, hey, you know those Amiibos you might be thinking of selling or haven't opened yet? Uh, they're going to have a really big part in the Zelda game for giving you some, some pretty sweet gear. So people are now taking to going online and buying tabs that just have the Amiibos loaded into them, uh, including unreleased Amiibos, uh, because the code's right in the game. So, uh, you know, Nintendo just announced that there's going to be a Skyward Sword. Uh, they're redoing the Twilight Princess, which is the Smash Link. And then uh, Majora's Mask Link, which gives you the Fierce deity set, which I'm all about. And uh, those are coming out. But like I said, you can jump on eBay right now and just buy tabs containing that Amiibo data. Which isn't great. And Nintendo's not really seeing any money from that. But that's what they're driving you to do. And that's kind of, you know, loops back around to the NES Classic thing. Is that if you're going to take it away from people, you have now made a bunch of other people aware that pirating these games is a thing you can do. Uh, you know, the layman sees the NES classic, I mean, like, it has all these old games, completely unaware, uh, that something like like a Raspberry Pi exists, or, uh, or that emulators even exist. There's a lot of, you know, older people I know, uh, in my own family, older cousins, uncles, and aunties and whatnot, had no idea that those were ways to play those old games. They thought you still had to buy that old console and, uh, dust off, plug it into a CRT, uh, to play some, some, uh, some Super Mario Brothers, and it's just not the case whatsoever. So, careful, Nintendo, careful with this uh anyway back to zelda uh the the videos that continue to come out about people you know messing with the physics engine finding new ways uh to to use the tools you were provided to do new and exciting things like making like variable airships out of a, a box and octorok balloons and stuff like that really really neat the game constantly uh you know <clears throat> has this this thing where you you think of you think of something just straight up you, you get to a camp and there's a bunch of enemies there you're like, what would happen if I did this? Something as, as simple as, you're in a lightning storm. Well, if you're wearing metal things on yourself, you're attracting the lightning to you, it'll strike you, and you're dead instantly. Well, what happens if I just lay a sword down in, in amongst a bunch of enemies? Well, exactly what happens. You think what happens, a lightning strikes and kills all the enemies for you. Uh, that's super badass. You A metal chest is in the middle of a field. Uh, I've made it with an amiibo, let's say. Even even using amiibos strategically so you get a metal chest... One of my favorite things to do is when there's bokoblins on horseback... Is I will spawn a chest from any, you know, Chibi-Robo amiibo... So it just gives you a bunch of food... And then uh, you grab that chest with your magnet power... And then you're flinging the chest around like a flail... Knocking these damn uh, bokoblins off their horseback... And then just crushing them... Like you're some kind of, you know... Beat, you know, second-rate magneto... Just whipping around this treasure chest... Knocking everything out... Uh, little things like that is what makes that game super, super special... Uh, and like I said earlier, th- there's not a lot of rough edges around that game. Uh, I like For how many hours everyone on this planet has now sunk into this Zelda game, not janky. Really well put together. Uh, you're not getting stuck in stuff. Very little in the ways of glitches. Very little in the ways of you think you can do something and you can't. Uh, fantastic game. And Nintendo really knocked it out of the park. There are, of course, negatives about the game. The dungeons, as far as traditional Zelda dungeons are concerned, aren't very good. They're very easy because, uh, like I said, you, you are kind of dealing with what you have. The boss fights are somewhat uninspired compared to previous Zelda games. Uh, but this also is, you know, the thing that leaves room for the next Zelda game, or whatever the DLC is. Uh, and that's another case where people were like, ah, oh, there's DLC for this Zelda game. Nintendo was announcing DLC a season pass before the game's even out. And then people play the game and realize they'll never get through this game, never mind have to pay pay for the DLC if they chose to. So, everybody kind of shut up on that front, I noticed, after the game came out. Uh, But there's plenty to explore, plenty to do. You can finish this game and still have hundreds of hours of things to explore and find and do. And uh, The Legend of Zelda Breath of the Wild is is fantastic. It's definitely up there in uh, one of the games of the year. But this year has been hot fire so far, just in general. Uh, Not only did we get that badass Zelda game, we got any number of other things that I'm about to talk about. Uh, So let's go do that. Oh, before we go on, it is worth noting that uh, Breath of the Wild is... On the Wii U, straight up, and that version uh, actually, in some cases, runs a bit better than the Switch version when it comes to being on the TV. Uh, the only downside is, because they at some point flip this thing into a Switch title, that they don't utilize the second screen, which is kind of criminal. Uh, but they also don't want the Wii U version having something over on the Switch version. But if all you have is a Wii U, or access to a Wii U, Switch isn't really doing it for you, or you can't, you don't have access to a Switch, Breath of the Wild is a perfectly playable experience on the Wii U, it should be noticed, no- noted, even. Like I'm telling you, Revolt Killer Grape, make you trip up on your words. So, tons of video games are out, I've been playing lots of stuff, I have lots of good things to say, and uh, I'm definitely going to forget at least half of the things I want to talk about, uh, but if we were to run down a list of releases here, which I won't do, I'm just going to talk about what I've been playing, to be completely honest with you. Um, let's start off with Pokemon Moon, which I, I did end up finishing 100%, I'm in the end game content, uh, you know filling out the what's, what remains of the Pokedex and doing uh, the, the endgame content in that game, which revolves around you hunting down aliens in uh, one of the darker Pokemon main storylines. Uh, so you and like an investigation team, uh, they hit you up because you're the Pokemon League champion. And uh, basically, in the storyline of the game, uh, you get some wormholes opening up, and bad craps coming out of there, including Pokemon from beyond space and time that we can't comprehend or whatever the hell. And they're referred to as Ultra Beasts. And uh, these things are really neat, kind of alien messes, like ghosts. They're they're terrifying, uh, as far as Pokemon go. And uh, you are tasked with hunting them down, and defeating and or capturing them. Uh, it's it broken into chapters, so each Pokemon, it's like, oh, it's been spotted over here. So you move to a new motel, you make your base, and you go out hunting for these damn things. Uh, my only complaint is that these things are really easy to catch. You're given something called Beast Balls. Yeah, that's what they're called. And uh, you... you Barely have to weaken these Pokemon to be able to easily capture them, and sometimes there's like there's four on the loose, and you just run to them and catch them with balls, no problem uh, at all. So the challenge would be to not use these beast balls and try to catch them in a regular Pokeball uh, or an Ultra Ball or something like that. Uh, but these Pokemon are super neat. I'm actually really enjoying the designs of them and how creepy they are. Uh, but beyond that, kind of retracing the ground you already have in the main story of the game, there isn't much of an end game to Pokemon Sun and Moon if you're not really uh, involved in the Festival Plaza stuff that they have available. Um... You're not involved in the battle tree or whatever it's called. You don't like just doing repetitive battles to earn some items to, it, you know, it becomes a grind fest at the end of the game and you're just kind of bettering yourself as a trainer and, and catching them all, like every Pokemon game. But like I said, this has very little in the ways of post-game uh, content or areas to explore. Uh, I, I don't know if something opens up that I'm not unaware of, but even catching Pokemon from previous games is very scarce. Uh, you are able to use the Pokemon bank now and kind of transfer things forward as well as using your Pokemon red, uh, blue or yellow from your, uh, 3DS eShop versions and transferring up, uh, those all the way, uh, to Pokemon sun and moon, which is kind of fun, uh, including missing No., which just doesn't work, uh, but I like that it causes a a neat glitch in the game, um, So, uh, you know, on the whole, Pokemon Sun and Moon, while you're playing them, great games. Fantastic. Uh, If they do release a third version of that for the Switch or whatever was rumored, I'd likely pick it up and uh, give it another shot. Uh, One of the better Pokemon games, I feel like they, while keeping things familiar, uh, which was good for the people who were coming at Pokemon uh, Sun and Moon from playing Pokemon Go and and kind of maybe they are only familiar with the Kanto Pokemon or even the Johto stuff, uh, it's neat that they were able to kind of incorporate those Pokemon uh, in a fresh way uh, by changing up their types and uh, their even physical looks in this game, as well as the new Pokemon that they've added, which I feel are you know a strong bunch, some some neat some neat monsters in there. Uh, so I enjoyed Pokemon Sun and Moon, and again they took out the idea of of gyms uh, that you're going to these different islands and taking on the strongest trainers there, and uh, the whole time you're hearing that they're building this Pokemon League, that this this island nation uh, somewhere off the coast of Kanto is is you know becoming a big enough deal that they can do their own Pokemon League and after you beat the Pokemon League this is the first Pokemon game to do this uh, usually you just fight the same champion and get the same dialogue afterwards not in this game you fight the four members of the Elite Four and then when you get to the top of the tower uh, you sit on a throne and a challenger approaches you which I think is really neat and it's randomized who approaches you as far as I know Uh, and you fight a stronger version of their team so whether it's a gym leader or a rival a gym leader uh, one of the island leaders the kahunas or a uh, rival or someone else from the game uh, at large uh, it's really neat to see their powered-up team come against yours, and and you blow them out of the water. And it you know, it, it makes fighting through the Pokemon League multiple times, uh, which is something you you know, if you're really into Pokemon, you do in most releases of Pokemon. It makes it even that much more interesting that at the end you might get a surprise. You might fight freaking Gary Oak uh, in the top of the Pokemon League. That's fun. Um, I felt like the game was giving you too many resources, uh, especially with the Pokepelago or whatever. Being able to EV train Pokemon the way you can. I, no complaints on my end. Being able to actually set them up so they're training when you're not playing the game is fantastic. It cuts down on the, the downtime of that and kind of just makes the whole process a lot more fun. But it, being able to uh, make berries and get stones and shards and everything you can using that feature in the game really easily uh, is is more streamlined. And I, you know, it'd be sad to get rid of it now, uh, but maybe it's a little too easy. Considering the Festival Plaza as well, once you get some uh, high-level uh, lotto And again, if you haven't played Pokemon Moon and Sun, you don't really know what I'm talking about. But uh, basically, there's a festival plaza where you can set up a bunch of shops. And this is the online component of the game, uh, where you level up this plaza by answering people's questions, befriending people, taking part in different multiplayer things. Uh, They like to level up this plaza and get new stores and shops. Uh, And basically, it's giving you free stuff. So you're using this other currency other than your money to get things like money and Pokeballs and items uh, and level up your Pokemon and, and do any number of things. Again, streamlining the process and giving the player a ton of stuff. So I thought I was uh, high, and, you know, flying high with some of the most money I've ever had in a Pokemon game until I found the late game accessory store where a backpack was going to cost me three hundred thousand uh, Poke dollars. So you know, whatever <laughs> the uh, the economy in Pokemon is just a big old mess. Uh, Pokemon Sun and Moon, good stuff. I talked way too much about that game. Uh, all right, Neo. This is a game that came out. Uh, ...for the PlayStation 4 that uh, was kind of a sleeper. People were looking at this game as a samurai Dark Souls... ...to to boil it down to its simplest components... ...and it ended up kind of being more than that. Uh, Neo is a game where you play as a, I, an English-born Irish slay- sailor... ...or the other way around. Basically, he is friends with a mermaid ghost... ...and she gets taken. So he follows uh, her captors to the Far East... ...to a supernatural version of Japan and is uh, forced to do battle with a bunch of pirates and samurais and friggin' yokais and all kinds of monsters and stuff, and it is fantastic. So it's a mission-based game, unlike Dark Souls uh, or or Bloodborne, where it's kind of more of a flowing uh, overworld uh, that leads into one another, which is something to get used to at first. Uh, The game has a really neat, long tutorial where you're like, when does this game actually uh, get going? And the thing that it has over Dark Souls, in my opinion, is that the combat is way more fun. Uh, You're actually given a lot more options... With how you approach battle, you have a, uh, you know, a certain amount of uh, weapon types. There's single swords. There's dual swords. There are spears. There are axes, and there are uh, uh, kumas like uh, like chain claws and sickles. I guess you would say, um, Kusagaris or whatever. I'll make myself sound like an idiot. Anyway. Uh, It's a tricky weapon that I haven't really used in the game. But uh, each weapon style has three stances, high, medium, and low, which have their own uh, move lists. And then as you unlock abilities, these abilities are exclusive to certain stances, and they're customizable. So when you go against somebody online, you don't actually absolutely know, even if they're using the same weapon you have, you don't know what they're capable of. Whether they've built themselves to be a counter machine, or they've built themselves to be an outright attacker to rush you down... Uh, So that adds some variety, whereas in Dark Souls, someone's got a greatsword, you know what their capabilities are, you know generally what they're able to do, and you can counter that. Uh, In this game, that's blown completely out of the water with how many different weapon types there are, stances, and customizable abilities, uh, as well as, of course, what kind of gear you're wearing and what that provides you. Uh, There's magic in the game, there's ninjutsu in the game. Uh, You level them up all in the same way that you would in a Souls game where you're putting in points at a time using your, you know, Souls, uh, whatever they're called in this game again. Uh, It's a fancy name. Omerita or something like that, which is a crystal that in this alternate history that is being told to us in the game, the English used to defeat the Spanish Armadas. Is that, is that correct? It's badass. Everything's badass about this game. Uh, I really enjoyed it and uh, really gruesome too. You are cutting off heads and slicing dudes up. Uh, It has a level of difficulty to it uh just like just like you'd expect um with all the tools you're given and again like any good again i will I'll say it, Soulsian game uh if you pay attention to what you've been given what a enemy's weakness is, you're never heading into a boss fight without uh a little bit of an advantage if you've been paying attention throughout the level, and I like that uh I like that. You know, you, you'll you have beaten a boss and then realized later uh, there was an easier way, or you find a shortcut or an area that you had never found in a, in a level before. Uh, all good stuff, and that's a fantastic game, so check out Neo for the PS4, please, please do. Um, moving on, Yakuza 0, that's a game that exists. So, uh, Affirmation, of course, this is a, uh, a, a prequel to the Yakuza series, uh, but is also the most current Yakuza game out uh, in North America, so it has the most going on for it, the best graphics, uh, the, the most let's say, playability. There are a few Yakuza games, and I'm looking at you three, and I think four, five even. Seven, oh, shit. Give them all around together. I know one of them, you you start the game running a orphanage, and I think that's three, and it's a very slow start. Uh, this game is set in the 80s, and you're ass-kicking kind of from go, which is nice. You have two uh, playable characters in the game. The entire game uh, revolves around Kiryu, our main character, of course, you know, and his early involvements with the Yakuza and trying to buy a lot of land uh, in Tokyo. Uh, Which has some special meaning. And I won't go too much more into it. Uh, But tons of side quests. The city is rendered really beautifully. Uh, There's another game coming. uh, Yakuza Kiwami. Which is a remake of the first game. Using a lot of the systems from Zero. So if you're new to the series. You can start right at Zero. Uh, and then run into Kiwami, uh, not kind of, you know, losing your spot as far as uh, how the game plays and, and how accessible it is. So Yakuza's kind of made it big, finally, in uh, in North America, really getting getting some eyes drawn to it. And uh, that's helped in part, of course, by people streaming the hell out of it and realizing what a, a kooky series this thing has been this whole time that people have just not played, Uh, and yeah, the whole series is like that, so it's really nice to see people finally embrace it, and of course, this is on the tail of uh, Atlas and Sega deciding they don't want people streaming their games anymore or whatever, so we'll see what happens with Kiwami and going forward uh, with people being able to do that, but I digress, that's a cool game too. Uh, Abzu uh, came out on disc and I finally played that, the best way to describe it is an underwater journey, uh, like the game journey, I think I've talked about it at the previous turn-based attack, maybe, Uh, but I've been really enjoying that. Another game where you just kind of chill out is called Everything. Purchase Powerful Mushrooms. That's right. It's a drug game. No. Uh, everything is a game where you are everything. Uh, how the hell do I describe this game? Okay, so this game is for like 15 bucks on PS4 and it has uh, Vita crossplay as far as I know. In Everything, you uh, start as a horse. Uh, everything is... An- <laughs> everything is... <laughs> everything is animated. By everything, I mean the things you are in the game. Uh, in a strange way, they kind of, you know, caper about, uh, you start as a horse and you realize right away when you push the stick forward that the way the horse moves is by somersaulting in on itself. Uh, you have to see it to, to understand what I'm talking about, uh, but you get different abilities as you go throughout the game, including the ability to uh, ascend and descend to different levels of life, uh, you know, descending from the horse into a blade of grass, into uh, you know, a bug, into an amoeba, into an incomprehensible world ascending from the horse into a sequoia tree into the earth itself into the sun it's the best way to describe it is katamari demasi but there's no objective so to speak uh you're just kind of there to chill out uh and there are there are things to work towards in the game but it is a game very much where you need to make your own fun uh and when you when you see the thing and you hear the make your own fun the drug game thing is is hard to avoid of course uh so anyway uh you know smoke your weed fire up everything, you're a horse rolling down a hill, Uh, you get different abilities like to be able to scale, so you can get bigger, smaller, you can join with other things that are like you or unlike you, at a certain point in the game you get the ability to join with anything, or everything, as it were. Uh, There is a plot in the game that you learn later is actually the tutorial, I'm sorry to spoil that, but uh, the structure of the game is thus, you kind of roll around until you find. Uh, an object or a thing in the world that tells you where to go next. And uh, before that, you're kind of exploring and getting these new abilities. Um, there are uh, f- like philosopher lectures that you are played through audio logs uh, about bringing like Eastern philosophy to the West and and regarding yourself in terms of the world that are actually quite interesting. Uh, you can also just fire up your Spotify on the PS4 and just blast whatever music you want into your ears while you play this thing, which is also recommended. Uh, at a certain point, uh, I had. Well, let's just get down to it. You get the ability to transform. So anything you have been previous, you can become again, and it's at the scale you were. So if you're a horse and you become the earth, you don't become the earth as it it pertains to the horse. You become a horse-sized earth, and you can go into that earth. So it's a nested world. You are an earth on the earth, uh, and at a certain point, you realize there's this golden gate where you started. And that apparently is the afterlife. This is what you've been building towards. So I was in a bunch of nested earths in a city as a, str- a gang of street lamps. And a bush told me, hey, buddy, you need to go back to where you started. That golden gate will open for you now. I'm like, thanks, bush. Uh, except the only problem was uh, is I, I was in a bunch of nested earths. I don't know how the hell to get back to where I started. Never mind what earth it is, but what continent on that earth held my starter thing. So that's where something in this game comes in called autoplay. Uh, you set how frequent it does things. So you transform this frequently. You talk to things this frequently. Uh, you join and dance with things this frequently. And when you put the controller down, after a few seconds, it takes over. And it just starts playing for you. And when you have a, a objective, like the tutorial part of this game, the game will just play itself through. That that ge- The game knew how to get back to where I started. So I watched the game play itself. I watched it go out of a bunch of nested worlds and become different things and find its way back. When you go into the Golden Gate, Spoiler alert, if, I, if I'm what I'm saying about this game already sounds awesome, just go download it. Um, you you won't be disappointed. But keep in mind, if you're a completionist or someone that needs to have something constantly to work towards, maybe not for you. Uh, but, so it found its way to this this afterlife where things are floating around of all different scales. You're kind of in a weird uh, purgatory, you know, I became a harp. And then I talked to a violin that was sad about all the things it uh, you know did to get here. It wants to leave the afterlife. Everything sucks. Uh, I find a, a planet an alien planet floating around in hell. I go into the planet. And everything's fucked up. Everything's different scales. There's giant wine bottles. Uh, There's shoes walking on their own. Uh, I, you know, I'm on this planet. I'm, I'm chilling out. I find a novel, like a like a book, as it were. I go into that, and it opens its own world. So now I'm in a world in the book. Uh, in the unknown planet. In hell. On my initial Earth. So, in this book... I find, uh, what was it like a piano or something that tells me that if I forget all of my thoughts, if I, if I, uh, wipe the slate clean and all the things I have experienced, all the things I've talked to, all the audio logs I've heard. If I do that, I can ascend out of the afterlife and begin life anew. Like kind of Buddhist philosophy, I guess. So I do that forgetting that I'm in a book thinking I'm still in this alien world. So I leave all of my earthly thoughts and possessions and whatnot in this book on an alien world, in this gate of hell, and I'm able to ascend out and begin my life again as a horse, uh, at which point the game tells me, uh, now the game has actually started. So I'm like, okay, cool. Uh, and it, you're still lock- unlocking abilities after that. So, you know, it's, again, it's a game where you make your own fun. I wanted to uh, find a school bus so I could transform into a school bus so that when I shrunk down to the size of an amiibo, I could, fl- amiibo. Amoeba, I could fly around uh, as the magic school bus, as it were and uh and have my own fun and one of the other things i did immediately after being able to transform things is ascend into being the earth and turning the entire earth into a strand of hair uh, and then holding down the r1 button to make myself into a pile of hair and then driving that pile of hair into the sun listen to what i'm saying that this is a, a fantastic game it's in my top five for the year for sure uh it's it's doing a lot of uh, cool stuff uh, and it is really just sandbox. Sometimes when I'm sitting here working on my computer or something, uh, I'll fire it up on the PlayStation next to me and just let it play itself. And then every so often you look over and you're like, okay, it's a bunch of bears cartwheeling down a hill. Then you look over again and it's a bunch of blue whales floating through space. Then you look over again and it's discovered how to become nothing. Uh, which you are, you are nothing. You are the absence of a thing and you're just flying around as that. Uh, it's, you know... One of the things I did when I became able to transform was I uh, became a housefly. I became a swarm of houseflies, and then turned that swarm of houseflies into a swarm of earths. Uh, if what I'm saying sounds interesting to you at all, uh, check it out. It is uh, It is a very neat game for the price, and uh, is a really neat sandbox. And they are up- updating it, as far as I know. They're adding stuff to it, uh, as it as it goes on. So, really neat. Quickly, let's talk about another downloadable title called Power Rangers Mega Battle. This came out, I think, in January... Uh, and it is a beat-em-up Power Rangers game that goes a little deeper than you're expecting it to. Uh, you can play it multiplayer, of course, you choose your favorite ranger, you can morph, you can get new abilities, you can use your weapons, you can use your gun, and you fight all the the classic uh, Power Rangers, you know, putties and, and Rita Repulsa and all that fun stuff. So uh, prior to the movie coming out, this this is based on the old Saban's uh, Power Rangers, so if you are a Power Rangers fan, as I consider myself, check out uh, Mega Battle on the uh, the PSN. I think it's on most everything else as well. Really briefly, uh, Lego Worlds, like I said, if you ever wanted a Minecraft game where you can build Lego brick by brick, this is for you. Uh, you go into different Lego worlds based on, like, pirates and medieval and fantasy, and, uh, you're flying from world to world, so you know when, like, Minecraft procedurally generates a world in this game, basically, it's generating small worlds for you that you can dig right through, and everything is made, is rendered brick by brick, meaning you can remove things brick by brick, you can build a house brick by brick, and unlock every known Lego brick in existence to do this with, copy-paste your creations, make towns, make whatever you want, uh... Really, really fascinating game. Very deep. I don't know if I have enough hours to, to fully enjoy what it has to offer. Uh, but there are objectives as well. You're constantly getting these gold bricks by completing uh, objectives. And in that sense, that part of the game very much feels like scribble knots, Where someone will be like, I need you to do a this. And then, you know, I need you to fence in these animals. Okay, well, fencing in the animals, you know, just means you need to make a perimeter around them. Whether or not you make that out of uh, literal fire or an actual Lego wall is up to you. Uh, you can customize your character, which goes without saying. Uh, you, get, you get all kinds of neat abilities uh, to, to manipulate these Lego bricks, and it's very, very neat. My buddy Trevin uh, just picked it up, and I know he's been playing it nonstop. So, uh, good stuff from Lego. That's a that's a game that's been in production for a long time, and is is now available on consoles. That came out to a whimper. No one's really talking about it, uh, but so was Minecraft when it first came out. Keep in mind. So. Alright, Horizon Zero Dawn, a game that I can tell you specifically where I played to. There is something called The Proving at the beginning of the game, which you could argue is the end of the tutorial. Well, that's where I am. Uh, I only played a good, you know, two and a half, three hours of that game, but enjoyed what I played. The best thing I can compare it to is those new Tomb Raider games. uh, Except with more emphasis on robot dinosaur shooting. As far as I remember, Tomb Raider didn't have a uh, a lot of robot dinosaur shooting. This game makes up for it. Uh, So you play as Aloy. Uh, and the intrigue of the world is just enough that it'll want to keep you playing, because clearly this is a post-apocalypse. This is the future. Why did we make robot dinosaurs? What happened to the people that came before us? These are all questions that you want answered, and uh, you're going to you're gonna get there by fighting all kinds of robotic monstrosities. So, Horizon Zero Dawn is a fantastic game, and uh, people should play it, and I can't wait to play more of it. Uh, let's talk about Mass Effect Andromeda. I'm a huge Mass Effect fan. Uh, I, I've liked all the Mass Effect games, including three, uh, I felt 3 was, by and large, the weakest of the trilogy, but still enjoyed a lot of what I played there, but could kind of see uh, the rips at the seams as uh, some of the lead designers at Bioware uh, were were heading out, whether they didn't want to do Mass Effect anymore or they were on to bigger and better things. Uh, the team for Mass Effect Andromeda, right from the get-go, was different. They showed very little about the ga- about this game. They weren't really forthcoming with what was going on, what they chose in terms of how they were going to follow the Mass Effect trilogy. And uh, their solution was they are just not going to acknowledge it. Uh, It's going to take place 600 years in the future in a far, far away galaxy where we can't contact the Milky Way for the majority of the game. And uh, Reaper no, we don't know what happened to them. We don't know. Their their solution with with picking which of the three endings uh, you went with was we just won't acknowledge it. Uh, and basically what happens in this world is, uh, somewhere between the, uh, the events of two and three Mass Effect, uh, they sent out a bunch of arcs, a human arc, a Turian arc, an Asari arc, and a Turian, uh, a Solarian arc, uh, the, the, uh, what are they called? Krogans, I guess, just don't, don't get one. Uh, sent those out into space to Andromeda to find habitable worlds. What happens when they get there is they find an evil race of, uh, copy-pasted aliens, uh, that are, you know, up to something, up to no good. Uh, and then another race of kind of peace-loving, generic aliens that are, you know, good, and already live in Andromeda, so it makes it really fucked up that you're uh, terraforming and uh, forming settlements on already inhabited worlds, but I digress. Uh, in the game, you play as rider, uh, female or male, and uh, they quickly, through uh, you know the plot, become the Pathfinder, who is not a Spectre, uh, but has a lot of the same responsibilities, and is kind of looked to as the leader of this, uh, you know humanity's uh ability to 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 reestablish uh in in the andromeda galaxy. So the mass effect parts of this game don't really hold up compared to old mass effect games and that's the problem. The combat's fine. Uh you you actually have less options in what you can do with your your squad mates than previous mass effect games, but the it's it's snappy. I think it's fine. I think it's some of the abilities you get are kind of cool. Um, It's a little janky, uh, certain abilities and whatnot, but building your character in general is is fine. Uh, The crafting and getting new weapons and how powerful they feel and how cool you can look in new Mass Effect armor uh, is all fine. That stuff's all in keeping with the series as far as I'm concerned, but the story and how certain characters are written is very silly, and it feels like they didn't... The game is, in general, disappointing, uh, and, and no one can disagree with that. Uh, with with such a series being able to start a new, being able to tell a Mass Effect story that doesn't involve Shepard, doesn't involve the the apocalyptic events of the Reapers. There's so many options uh, you could go with, and what they kind of did seems very safe. And uh, it, there are very little moments in the game that feel as powerful as any of the moments in the other Mass Effect games. Uh, I can think of one off the top of my head. Where this alien, I made this deal with this 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 bad guy alien, let's say. And he's like, I'm glad you saw a reason that you're you're not going to kill everybody. And then he's blown away. I'm like, okay, that was a genuine Shepard moment where he's just a badass. Uh, and you feel connected to the character. Like, yeah, I did that. And people are going to be telling me about it. Everything else feels very by the numbers. Uh, even down to the the party members you get. You know, they're all kind of... Hey, it's it's this alien, but now they're female instead, and they are kind of generally the same character, but not as likable as, as a Garrus, let's say. Uh, hey, you got you got a Krogan, and he's he's not Rex or Grunt, but he's kind of you know, he's kind of the same. Whatever. You get a ship. It's not the it's not the Normandy, but it's uh, very similar. You can find your way around. It's the same rooms and things. I don't know. I, I don't know if this game needed to be more different. I don't know if they they didn't. You know, they weren't allowed necessarily to do something too different. They didn't want to do too something too different in the Mass Effect universe. But I feel like that's the only place it could have gone. What they did was, let's try to make another one of these games uh, that doesn't involve the, the plot of the previous three. Has generally the same gameplay, uh, but also has the god-awful uh, Dragon Dragon Age Inquisition uh thing where you're just constantly picking up side quests and doing things that ultimately lead to nothing. Uh the the you know you'll you pick up a cool side plot and you're kind of into it uh and then all it involves is you going from point A to point B and clicking a button there's your exp the mission's done. Hey uh can you go touch a uh an objective marker on top of that hill? Yeah. 70% of the missions are that. Uh, and that's Extremely disappointing considering some of the side quests in the original Mass Effect trilogy were some of the best parts of it. And that goes for three as well, and most Bethesda RPGs for that matter. Um, Those side quests brought up a lot of questions about the universe and and, and deepened it in a way that made you actually want to do them. In this game, it's fetch quests, and it's just like Dragon Dragon Age Inquisition. At a certain point, you need to leave the hinterlands because you will stay there forever doing menial quests for little gain. uh, And you feel like you're grinding generic quests like in an MMORPG. So, not for me. Uh, the thing I haven't mentioned yet is is the animations and the face and stuff, which are goofy and, and fun in their own right. Uh, obviously, they've they've gone out and uh, patched some of this stuff. It's it's looking much better already as far as the dead eyes are concerned. But the game did ship that way. And there are people, like I always say on the Turn-Based Attack podcast, that don't have the internet, believe it or not, in 2017, or don't have access to uh, a stable enough connection to download these 26-gigabyte files to upgrade this stuff. So, like No Man's Sky, what's on the disc is kind of what you have to consider uh when when thinking about the game as a whole and in that case the animations and and everything are the worst in the series and again disappointing is the word i intend to play through mass effect andromeda i know rob uh finished it uh and and he kind of has the same sentiments as me it's it's more of the same but worse than it's ever been and that's really disappointing uh so shame on you mass effect i don't know what comes next uh, in the series, like, I don't I don't know how people feel about Dragon Age, where it's at right now, and if they want to see another Dragon Age game, uh, or if it, it's at the point where, you know, get that Star Wars Old Republic team, and get them making a Mass Effect MMO, and just set it in the events prior to the Shepard years, set somewhere before uh, the Age of Shepard and, and the Reapers, and just have it be a Mass Effect MMO, go do your, your Mass Effect business. Uh, I think that's really what needs to happen. Uh, unfortunately I, I don't think th- this game apparently doesn't try to set up another trilogy uh nor does it warrant one so at least there's that and finally we can talk about persona 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 5 of course uh you are delinquent but not really that's always how i heard your your character referred to as but in in reality he prevents our rape which spells villain to me uh, i guess he, uh, he saves a woman who's about to be assaulted and for that he gets sent away to the city to live with a, like a foster dad who hates your guts uh, and runs a cafe and just can't, can't tell you enough how much he hates that you're there and you're, you're kind of weighing on him and he wishes you weren't, uh, which is strange. Uh, but then, you know, you go to school and there's a, there's a pervy teacher and, and some bad news and you got an app on your phone you can't delete. Before you know it, you're in the other world uh, with a blonde friend fighting evil and talking to a cat. And uh, everything's fun after that. So it's got your classic persona stuff, you know, choosing how to spend your time during the day uh, with increasing your different proficiencies as well as deepening your relationships with uh, in-game characters so that you can create more powerful personas so that you can get through dungeons faster. Um, The idea in the game is that you are a phantom thief. Uh, You go into these different worlds, these palaces, uh, which are, you know, kind of constructs of people's uh, terrible desires. And uh, if you steal their treasure or their heart, as it were... Uh, you will you will make them in the real world lose those evil desires, but unfortunately, it also will make them lose all of their desires, including their desire to love and live and stuff like that. Uh, so the game is kind of ambiguous uh, at the point I'm at, where hey, you know, this guy's a bad guy, and you're trying to break into his palace and uh, steal his heart, and you know, while that's going to fix the rapey and abusive parts of him, it also might very well lead him to kill himself, and uh, you're you're kind of given the moral dilemma of does you know. Do I indirectly want to murder this guy? Is he that evil? Am I really at fault if he dies for, for this? And uh, that's neat. And the game itself, as far as uh, the battles, it, they're streamlined. You can quickly find out an enemy's weakness if you've already hit it, which is fine. Uh, you still have to do some guesswork when you get into a new dungeon. As What is that guy weak to? And then it's all about saving your time. Uh, you also get projectiles. So you get guns, like airsoft guns in the real world that function as real guns. It's kind of like a hook menthal- mentality where you got to believe Peter and then things are real. If you believe the food is there, it will be. Uh, is kind of what's going on in Persona. And again, you, you are kind of an anti-hero. You're a group of phantom thieves. You are not... Necessarily considered heroes in the game, you're you're out for your own gain uh, to a certain capacity, which is kind of neat. And uh, I want to play a whole hell of a lot more in that game. Of course, the style is dripping from every seam in that game. It looks gorgeous on the PS4, uh, but you know, don't try to find a stream for after July seventh because uh, Atlas told you no. That's Turn Based Attack Light for this week. We will return shortly with either a regular Turn Based Attack podcast or a Turn Based Attack Light wrestling. We're kind of uh, bummed out about right now after WrestleMania. Not a lot going on that me and Andrew really want to talk about. So we'll bring that back when we feel it is necessary to. Suffice to say, we, we're we not really thrilled with a lot that's going on. Uh, we need more Nakamura on SmackDown. Then I'll have something to talk about. So that is the podcast for this week. If you want to interact with us, of course, you can hit us up on Twitter at TurnBaseAttack. You can go on Facebook slash TurnBaseAttack. Hit us up there. You can comment on this video or anywhere you see our stuff posted and we'll find it. Questions and topics, we want them. That's it for the show. Rob, anything else to say? Oh, fuck. There you go.